It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Hi, everybody. Thanks for downloading Outspoken, the podcast that brings you the very best of our daily talk sports show. On today's show, we react to the news that the Premier League is attempting to bring in temporary concussion substitutes in time for next season. And Simon gives us his take on the latest BBC Sports Personality of the Year. Plus, in our final Boxing Hour of the Year, the Chief Executive of Boxer, Ben Shalom, brought us some very interesting news for fight fans everywhere. So I did a bit of Christmas shopping yesterday. Still having, did you? Still haven't decided what I'm getting you. So at the moment you're looking at the short change of nothing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll have something in common then. Oh, that's the, well, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, then I got in, watched a bit of Manchester United. They're through to the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup. Uh, Tuna win over over Burnley. Yeah. Rashford seems to be the big talking point. Is Marcus Rashford really reborn, or is he just a player who's hitting a bit of a golden patch? Funnily enough, Ten Hag was on that subject right away. I think he invested a lot, uh, once again, with a lot of uh, runs behind the defending line. And then uh, he scored a great goal uh, in a dribble, a great finish. So, um, yeah, I think he's in a great form. And, uh, of course, I hope uh, he can keep in this focus and in this performance. He's a kind of fan's favourite, isn't he? I wonder what the next 12 months should be for Marcus. So cementing his United future, Simon, or putting himself well and truly in the best shop window. Um, I would think it might be a combination of the two. But if you're a Manchester United fan and a Manchester United person, then you would expect Marcus Rashford to be putting forward his best performances for Manchester United with the sole intention of being committed to the calls and being worth the investment that's been put into him in contractual terms. Because he's paid at a very high level. His performances, the majority of last season, 
weren't to the level and people can cite various reasons behind it and they can cite the beginning of the seasons where people allowed him to go on holiday rather than have operations and get himself back into the groove. The culture of Man United needed to change because I thought it was a laissez-faire, lackadaisical mentality that perhaps encouraged this mentality among certain players that they forgot who they were playing for. Yeah. Now you've got him back. He had to get himself together because otherwise he wouldn't have made the World Cup. You know, it's one thing running at defenders. That I mean, I saw the goal. It was a great goal in terms of the finish, but I think a lot could be asked of the defenders on the way through. But notwithstanding that, a fit and focus, Marcus Rashford, um, is an is a is a is a benefit to most sides. Yeah. Is he is he is he world class? No. Is he on a pedestal that I've discussed previously, where people have put him and then judge him by an unfair standards? Probably. But you know what? He's an effective player. He's an effective player that drives at full uh, drives at, at defenses, and he should be a part of a Man United squad that's now building to start the emergence of a challenging Man United again. And United must be aware that he's got his admirers, of course he does. One of them, Nasser Al-Khalafi, over in Qatar. Yeah, but, you know... The Nasser, man at the top at PSG. Nasser admires every good player. Yeah. Because they've got more money than God, they can afford to admire them and, and potentially acquire them. And he will remember that the ultimate um, goal that was scored against PSG, which cemented the appointment of Oli uh, Gunnar Solskjaer, was by Rashford against his side. Sure. So those those things... But look, for me, he's, he's back to a level of performance. The, the mental approach to the game is the thing that's changed. Nothing physical has changed in him. His mental approach, the no longer feeling sorry for myself, whether that was because managers didn't play him in the right place or give him the right mo- motivations or speak to him in the right way, because we saw a very petulant, a very sulky, a very affected Marcus Rashford during the course of last year. We're now seeing a young man full of the joys of spring, as he should be, playing for England, playing for Man United and playing football. So hopefully that then builds and Man United can start building a side around players performing at their level, not at at levels like Rashford and Jadon Sancho and other people have performed over the last 12 months. As you might expect, even though we're that close to Christmas Day, United fans back in big numbers, nothing changes, we want the Glazers out chant ringing out out in the first match since he announced yeah. that they might sell up. Nothing changes there. They no, won't change their view but, but on that. No, well, you know, that's their view. If they yeah. think that's if they think that's the constructive way to air their support for the football club. Yeah. And they think that's going to enhance the opportunity for Man United to perform. And that's up to them. That's their it's their football club. I don't think it's particularly constructive. I don't think it's going to make a blind bit of difference to the Glazers. They can sing to their heart's content. They can sing from dawn till dusk, Monday to Sunday, every day of the week for the next 10 years. If someone doesn't walk through the door and write a cheque that looks like five or six billion, the Glazers will be tone deaf to it. 100% engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Boxing, Simon, used to feature very largely on uh, the event I witnessed last night, the BBC Sports Personality of the Year Award. Did you watch it? No, thank you. Well, you didn't watch it? No. Lost interest in that a long, long time ago. Well, you know that that begs a question. If that is the case, why has it lost its uniqueness? Or do modern day sports stars lack personalities like before? I mean, well done, England Euros lioness uh, winner Beth Mead yep. took home the BBC Sports Personality of the Year award. Ben yep. Stokes, a runner-up, Olympic curling champion Eve Muirhead, finishing third. I mean, tell me why it is, Simon. Is is the event no longer an iconic event in the calendar, an appointment to view? If not, why not? Um, I think the nature of the event has changed over the years from the personalities that participate to the people that host it. You know, I'm not really interested in listening to Gary Lineker or Claire Bolding, quite frankly. Um, I do think it's. I think I do think it's a good thing that we're seeing more recognition for women's achievements in sports. If you look at the last 30 years and you've seen six women win it over 30 years, yet you've seen two women win it in the last two years, 
there's a, there's a there's a move towards recognising other aspects of sport, and of course the equal, equality and diversity campaigns will be cheering for that. But that's also based upon the merit of Emma Raducanu and Beth Mead. Yeah. Um, I look at the whole nature of the BBC's contribution to sport and to broadcasting, and I have trouble with it at times because I do think it's been turned into something which is agenderized. I'm not entirely sure Gary Lineker, who as one of the hosts, should be telling people who should be on the list because Matt Fitzpatrick wasn't on it. Well, it, well, you're right. He tweeted that. Mind you, it was somewhat baffling. Um, Lineker expressed his surprise before the ceremony last night that the golfer Matt Fitzpatrick didn't make the cut. Mm. This is the same Matt Fitzpatrick who won the US Open, uh, which was a feat in itself. Yep. Um, and then Fitzpatrick became the first, in the process, became the first Englishman since Justin Rose in 2013 to uh, win the US Open. And that's fine. And you've seen it being degraded in recent terms. You know, once upon a time, it was an event that you tuned into and you spent a lot of time watching. You saw some real personalities being interviewed by some real personalities. What did you see? I mean, I remember, I remember um, like Sir Harry Carpenter and yeah, Muhammad me Ali. Me yeah. too. I remember, I remember Daley Thompson and people of that nature yeah. going up there having very engaging, interesting dialogues with people that operated in a very engaging and interesting way. And I don't think it's the case anymore. I also think the model of having a panel adjudicate is slightly... Um, in the past. I think it should really be driven by the public's perception of sporting personalities and sporting achievements. The public should choose the shortlist. Well, well, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, to get to that point, absolutely. I think so. Yeah, um, I agree. And, you know, and, and it should be without fear or favour that people do these things. But I look at it now and I look at it as part of a calendar and I go, no, no, I don't have any interest in it. I look at people like Tyson Fury and Tyson Fury will have had his challenges in the past and has said some things and his religious beliefs and his outlook on society isn't particularly palatable at times. But I don't think he needed to be dragged up in 2015 by Gary Lineker and give him a lecture on the stage and things of that nature have always started to turn me off the yeah. event. It's too long anyway. Um, and then you see people you see people like Tyson Fury not wanting to be on their sporting personality of the year list. Yeah. So congratulations to Beth Mead um, uh, for for winning it. Whether people agree with that or not is incidental. She's won it. Uh, and Emma Raducanu the previous year. Um, but as far as a, an, an iconic piece of broadcasting and a reflection of the societal values that we think sportsmen should embody, for me, I don't watch it. I, well, I agree. You know, you go out of the room, you come back in 40 minutes later and you think, is that still on? I mean, the shortlist, <laughs> the shortlist, Simon, is picked by an independent panel of experts. Yeah. This year, it included former Olympian Denise Lewis, yeah. Paralympian Kelly Gallagher yeah. and ex-snooker player Stephen Henry. Yeah. And, and one wonders, well, how could they overlook Fitzpatrick? But anyway, they did. Their selection is based on this sports person whose sporting actions have most captured the UK public's imagination during 2022. Yep. So one wonders, they've got to change it. They've got to if they're going to persist with it. They've got they've got to change the formation of it, the structure of it, and how they actually come to a shortlist. I mean, I don't know what the viewing figures are. I mean, if the viewing figures are significant, then ultimately they'll suggest that they haven't. They'll the tell you they are. The difficulty for me is is that because I have no interest in it whatsoever, I almost find it you know beyond my thought process of how they should evolve it or improve it because. I think it's an outmoded event. I think it doesn't do what it says on the tin because it should be sporting achievement, not sporting personality. And I know mm. that you can go into the detail behind it and say it's the person that's captivate, captured the imagination of the public over the last 12 months. Well, that's a very varied uh, and vast um, uh, uh, remit yeah, because it depends what people's imagination conjures up about an individual. And that can be how the press report them. It could be how they've actually achieved. I think it should be simply upon achievement. Yeah, and on that basis, on that basis, on that, Matt basis, well, on that basis, it's very difficult to suggest why Matt Fitzpatrick shouldn't be amongst Natasha at least the Jonas? shortlist. Natasha Jonas for winning Cam the world Nori, title. A tennis player. You know, you go well. 
Cam Norrie for getting to a semi-final, maybe, but when you've got other events in there that people have won world titles and won European championships and won golfing majors, it's yeah. difficult to say somebody that came into a semi-final of a major tournament should then be included in the equation when you've got more compelling reasons yeah. to put other people in the mix. Is there still a place for it? I think that will be determined by viewing figures. Um, there's not. I mean, generationally, I grew up with it, so I should be... I should be the living embodiment and you know breathing incarnation of what it would be would I'd want it to be. I you know I'm a match of the day person, irrespective of Lineker. I'm a match of I'm you know I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a person that likes tradition. I like the traditional coverage of Wimbledon. I like all these sort of things, um, and I believe in tradition. But I don't think this is a particularly valuable piece of real estate in broadcasting terms. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Simon, hallelujah. The Premier League has written to IFAB and applied to hold trials of temporary concussion substitutes next season, which would allow medics 10 minutes to check players who suffered head injuries. The, the, the league is presently running a trial of an extra permanent substitute being allowed to replace a player who has suffered a suspected concussion. But there's been growing feeling that the protocol isn't working and that team doctors are sometimes pressured not to remove a key player for the whole of the match. Is football seeing sense at last regarding concussion substitutes? Simon, get your take on that in a second. Uh, I would have thought this fellow would be pleased. The chief executive of Headway, Luke Griggs, joins us live. Luke, good morning. What's your take on it? Yeah, you're quite right, Jim. This is, a, 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 I have to say, a surprising um, development and um, one we very much welcome, yeah. I mean, it would see a player go off the pitch following a head injury and be assessed for up to 10 minutes and then return to the field of play if he passes the assessment. Why is it taking so long, do you think, Luke? I think it's a really hard question for me to answer to, to Jim. I mean, you know how many times we've spoken on this show and, and talked about this and repeatedly our messaging, and it's hard to understand why it's taken so long to see to see common sense on this. But look, the positive is, let's, let's focus on the positive. This is a positive step forward. And we've seen just in the, in the World Cup the number of incidents where it's happened where 
medics are pressured to make a, a quick decision in two or three minutes that could affect the whole rest of the game of whether they leave this player on or whether they take him off. You know, and, and it's led to then, you know, we saw at least two incidents where where players had to tend, you know, put the hand up and say, this isn't right, I can't continue after just three or four minutes afterwards. Um, and in that time, they'd risk their health by continuing to play on. So, look, this is an important step forward. Um, and, uh, you know, let, let's focus on, on on how we actually get it across the line now. What's your take on it, Simon? Is it wrong that the Premier League's got to seek permission from IFAB to introduce something on safety grounds? Um, well, there has to be a protocol to go, through, to go through things. Otherwise, people will do things individually around the world and you'll have no consistency in football. And then when you come to tournaments where teams play together, they don't know whether Arthur and Martha. I know, but the protocol's held the thing up. But I think the Premier League have seen the way the wind is blowing. Um, they've seen the increase in awareness around um, CTE and other aspects of head injury, dementia and a raft of things. The, the authorities in this country that have been incredibly remiss from the PFA through to the FA in terms of investigating the issues around trauma and head repetitive heading and so on and so forth have not done it properly. The concussion protocols... Um, there were the arguments around it. I, I was neither for or against it. I bowed to the, what I assume was the greatest knowledge. I'm assuming that if there was a comprehensive research done by FIFA, that it would have substance behind it and not the, the, the basis of the fact that people can develop concussion later, irrespective of whether they were substituted or not substituted on a temporary basis. And that doesn't seem like much of a compelling argument. But when we look at the medical profession at times, and we've seen what we've heard over the last two years, specifically to COVID, we, we, we wonder what sometimes medical advice is given. But if this is the way forward, and the Premier League clearly think it is, I'll be interested to see what they're then prepared to do if there is some ridiculous scenario where IFAB push back against it. I'll be, be interested to see whether the Premier League and the MLS and whoever else in Liga, uh, Liga in France who've also uh, joined this effort yeah. to make this change, yeah. um, what they're prepared to do. Can you see, Luke, and this may be beyond uh, your remit to understand this, but can you see any reason or any likelihood for the sporting um, governing body around rules and regulations to push back on this request? Well, the original pushback against this that we were given in terms of the explanation was that um head wound assessments um as used in rugby aren't full you know aren't foolproof and 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 it can allow for um a player to pass a 10-15 minute concussion assessment and then come back onto the pitch even though the you know they then go on to develop a concussion and therefore the idea being that if you permanently remove somebody they're removing the risk of anybody being concussed coming yeah. onto the pitch that was the argument that's always given at time. And of course, that's nonsensical because we've, we see time and time again players, you know, like in, in, in the World Cup, where where they are continuing to play before then being removed. So that argument never... But hypocritically, that doesn't seem very balanced, does it? Because ultimately, no, it's, it's prevention no is better than any form of cure, isn't it? Yeah, and, and there was no credibility to that argument. But we've never heard any other argument for against the, the concept of, of temporary concussion substitutes. So I think it'd be very, very difficult for, for, for IFAB to give a decent reason for not allowing this to go ahead. Yeah, I mean, we've got so far, hopefully. I mean, you, you would freak if it, if it ends now, wouldn't you, Luke? I, I, I don't see, I, you know, I do not see how, how, how it possibly could. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think that really important to say to this, I think this needs to be the first step because it has to be accompanied by uh, education. And this is another issue where we haven't seen enough of. The, it's all well and good having protocols and we're doing this and we're doing that, but there needs to win hearts and minds on this at the grassroots level. Because what we, we've seen too often is elite level football setting the poor example for people at the grassroots level to follow in terms of, you know, well, that player's allowed to continue, then why should I come off on a weekend when there's no medical sideline to actually drag me off? Yeah. So we need to make sure that this is now accompanied 
um, by a Hearts and Minds campaign, an educational campaign to see, to explain to people why this is important and not just because we have to, because that isn't going to work. So this is just the first step and it needs to be accompanied by a lot more work now to, to win Hearts and Minds at, at a grassroots level. It also, I mean, I think there's also an element of structure within the game that needs to understand that doctors don't work for football clubs they work for the individual in terms of the best interests of the player and not necessarily best interests of a football manager and a football team and a set of fans on that particular day. Because I've often found with doctors having owned a football club that their motivations and the physios is very much to achieve an outcome uh, that's best for the team or the circumstances on that day, rather than their Hippocratic position of suggesting that ultimately they've got to be separate. They've got to be an element of independence between the doctors feeling that, they, that they're, they're employed by the football clubs, they are ultimately there to serve the football clubs, and a player being on the pitch, that's a key component of the team, is better served being on the pitch for the team. That's also... Uh, there's got to be a sort of uh, a line drawn in the sand there to make sure that these guys... I'm not suggesting they don't understand their responsibilities, but I do suggest that sometimes they're put in a slightly invidious uh, position. Uh, Simon, it's a good point you make. I mean, Luke, what do you make of this? Whenever we debate something like this, we have a discussion about something like this topic. Uh, the listeners get involved, and that's what we love about doing this show because we're, we're all about audience participation. Uh, there, there's one no name in this one. Not to sound too cynical, guys, I'm listening to your discussion. Are you not going to get managers trying to exploit the rules, getting players to fin in? to make tactical substitutions. Is there a danger of that, Luke? I, I, we've, we've heard this argument many times before, and I think that it, this is not like... Um, you know, bloodgate in, in in rugby, where you can you can try and fake a blood injury to to to, to game the system. If you yeah, like, yeah. we're talking here about brain injuries, and we're talking about brain health. And I think this is where the education comes in. That if anybody tries to do this, then the you know they should be absolutely hung out to dry on this. We we actually saw it um, for 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 Wales when way back when Ryan Giggs was 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 the manager, and um, I think it was um, I simply remember it was it was Dan James, and he was praised for being smart by going down. And pretending I remember that, yeah. And you know, there was there was yeah. righteous indignation, and we were leading the charge on that. And and if people think that it's they're gonna they're gonna do that and get away with that, then I think that you know there needs to be the sanctions in place to make sure people take this seriously. And that comes back down to 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 the education on this. But you know, when going back to to what Simon was saying, because I think this is a really important point as well. I think you're right, Simon, that that medics have been putting in, in, in very very difficult positions by having to make these quick snap decisions. Um, and and doing so on the basis i mean i've spoken to to professional medical staff at, at football clubs who say that actually yeah they have actually feared for their jobs if they make the wrong decision yeah. and it costs their team the points yeah they need more help and that's that's the simple reality I, I have absolutely no doubt these are really dedicated um people who care about the 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 short and long-term health of their players but they're put in this invidious position as simon said and we've often talked about the role of of, of independent team doctor sorry independent doctors yeah who can make a, a, a role rule on this um and actually you know take that decision making not completely away because obviously there is there is the personal knowledge of the player's history to come into this and i think that the, the team medics play a role in that but to actually make that that, that final decision the independent um, doctor drafted in at that time for a concussion protocol yeah. to step in and say i'm sorry i'm taking over this particular situation absolutely. in conjunction with absolutely. your on the ground knowledge yeah. yeah it wouldn't take much simon for that to be well certainly not in the premier league they'd no. start to turn around saying further down the pyramid it'll become more of a problem yes but, but what luke yeah. is actually what uh, luke is actually saying is if we get it right at the top in this instance and we start setting some standards it will make it easier when the message is in being imparted for a whole raft of other things all the way down to what happens on a sunday afternoon 
And, and what you said, Luke, though, uh, previous to that, was that uh, previous experience tells you elite-level football has a habit of setting a poor example for, 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 for football further down the pyramid, which is sad in itself, isn't it? That's a sad indictment of elite-level football. Well, it is. And, and, and if we're being brutally honest here, I, we, I've always said that I think if it takes a tragedy or a lawsuit to force football to change, then then that is that is to the to the shame of football itself. You know, this should not be all about money. It should not be about the commercial interests. This should be about players long and short term health. And the more we're learning about this, the more research that's coming in about the short and long term uh, brain health of, of of sports people in general yeah you know we can no longer justify delaying tactics or or kind of cautious approach to actually change we can't be afraid football cannot be afraid to change and i think too for too long it has been in terms of any kind of law change that could potentially impact commercial values of the game have delayed but i also think Luke, it, it needs proper people to have responsibility over the positions that they have responsibility for and i know this will sound like i'm after one particular organization but when you've got a players union that's as affluent as the players union you've got in this country you would expect them to be a very loud voice because we know how activists in this country get themselves on the front page and back page of newspapers and create noise whether it's just for oil or whatever particular campaign we we, we can talk about i find it appalling that the noise making that for this particular sense scenario should have been led by the pfa and the unions around the world you know fief pro and whoever else that wants to be in the mix screaming and shouting about the well-being of their members and then you'd have seen an opportunity for more people to be aware of it and more opportunity for change and it's you know it shouldn't with the greatest respect in the world to you and the job that you do which is commendable the industry has its own mechanisms. It's just people not doing what they should be doing. The PFA's been pushing a bit, though. Recently. For temporary they've been, subs. Well, they've been, they've, only because they've jumped on a bandwagon of kicking and screaming that goes back to tragedies, you know, of people... This is not concussion, but ultimately it's repetitive head injuries and, and CTE that people like her father suffered from. Yeah. But they all they will all conflate into one thing. It's important to understand that concussion industries and repetitive heading are two different things. Yeah. But they're, they're fruit of the same poison tree. Sure. A lack of care and awareness about certain aspects of footballers' well-being. Welcome. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. It being a Thursday lunchtime, Spencer Oliver being alongside us here in studio and I'm delighted to say the Chief Executive of Boxer Promotions. He is Ben Shalom. Ben, how are you? I am very well, Jim. You Great are to be here. very well. I was I was delighted to, to track you down outside just before you came into the studio and have a quick chat with you. How would you describe 2022 for you? In this crazy world in which you operate? Um, monumental, but also, you know, challenging at the same time. But yeah, it's been a cra crazy year. If I knew what I was getting into at the end of last year, it would have been it would have been overwhelming, I think. But yeah, it's been an incredible year. What have you learned in that year? Um, I think two things. One, that, that we really we really can make an impact on the sport and, and we need to continue to try and do things in the right way. But number two... That you know, boxing is a is a is 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 a tough sport to operate in. But the, I've got a lot of respect now for the for the other promoters. I think um, it's a it's a it's a it's a twenty four seven job. Mm. It's a twenty four seven job, and you have to put everything into it. And you really have to love the sport. I don't think you can you can uh, fake this job. Did you not have respect for the other promoters before? Oh, I did. But I think once you once you're at that that level and competing for the for the. Um, at the top dog. of the sport that, yeah. that's it's you know it's a re it's a real intense job and uh yeah i respect them a lot simon i know you keep a close watch and what ben gets up to with yep. boxer and, yep. and the fights and you and i have been privileged yep. to go to some of the fights but this man sparing his blushes has made big inroads into this industry absolutely 
you know, he's got some very interesting views on the world of boxing and some very interesting things to be doing in the future. But I also think in the present, you know, you're changing the direction of people's thinking. You're coming and punching your way into an industry that is a closed shop that people don't want you to potentially to be in. You know, Frank Warren had the same situation back in the 70s with Mickey Duff and Terry Lawless and Jarvis is there, and he had to go through that mechanism. And Ben stepped into a situation where he's got, arguably, the primary broadcaster and a relationship with an expectation upon him to deliver an outcome there, alongside some evolution inside the sport with the women's boxing coming to the fore, making the fight with Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall, which was a great fight, bringing Amir Khan and Kel Brook to the, to, to the table, and a raft of other ones, you know, Ben Whitaker in his stable. There's some really interesting stuff there. So I think he's a breath of fresh air in the, in the promotion world, keep everyone else on their toes. They'll have their battles amongst the promoters, but notwithstanding, the, the one I liked particularly was making the Parker Joyce fight, mm-hmm. because that took a lot of making, because there were a lot of people waving themselves around certain parts of their anatomy around the room, and you guys got that fight done, and it was a great. And for me, we'll talk about fights of the year. You can tell where I'm going to go with my fight of the year. Yeah. So I think, I think Ben has got a, a hell of a future. It's a jungle, Ben, isn't it? It is a jungle. But it, as Simon says, um, we have the primary broadcaster. We can have a huge influence. And it, it started with Eubank Williams in Cardiff and then Carnbrook and Taylor Cattrall. We did the first undisputed fight in this country on British soil. And it's just sort of taken off uh, from there. But yeah, of course, it's, on, a, it's a jungle. On that subject, what is the latest with the rematch for Jack Cattrall against Josh Taylor? So Josh couldn't fight last year. So we've been working on it for a few months. But I can now officially announce that both fighters have signed for the fight. The fight date is locked in and it'll be announced in the next week or so. It's 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 going to be happening in the next two or three months. So it's imminent and it will be in, in Glasgow. Back at oh. the scene, back at the scene of wow. the, the, the crime. crime. Wow! <laughs> and right. um, yeah, I think it could be one of the most significant fights in British boxing for a long time because of what happened, because of who Josh Taylor is and what he's achieved, because of the fact that he could have gone on to other things, but decided, you know what, I'm going to put this right, wrong, uh, wrong, right, and and fair play to him. And Jack Cattrall gets the opportunity that I think the whole of the nation feels like he deserves. Mm-hmm. Well, it was largely thought on that night in Glasgow that Cattrall had won. Uh, it went Taylor's way and there was an outcry about it. What steps have you taken, Ben, to ensure we don't ever see a repeat? I actually spoke to Robert Smith about that and we're going to be putting a lot of pressure on for this fight to have a... We'll see. I hope next year is where we see a different way of judging the top, top fights. And look, oh, Robert no, Smith... No, 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 yeah. we're not letting you off with that. Don't stop <laughs> short of that. Yeah. So what does that mean? I think, look, we're, there's, there's elements of open scoring that certain certain people are fighting uh, fighting for in the sport. There's also elements of, look at what we've got now with football, with VAR. Could two judges be, be sat in a truck as well? You know, judging at the same time as the three next to ringside. I think there's opportunities now if everyone is open-minded to to take boxing into a place perhaps that has never been before. And that fight in particular is so significant because of what we saw and I think the outrage that it caused. And uh, that's what's giving us perhaps the impetus and the and the media attention to to try and make a change. But I don't want to put the board in in the on the back foot. Forget all the I board. can say. Are you talking about VAR say, and boxing? That is that is a uh, something that we're we're really trying to push and also very confident that we could see in the next year or two, yeah. Wow, Listen, Spencer, what about that? I think the sport needs to move forward. You know, we've been stuck in our ways for so long. You know, there's been talk of this for many, many, many years and it is something that is needed for the sport, you know, to get rid of all the controversy because we've seen in so many bad decisions over the last few years, you go, something has to change and that could be the way forward. You know, I think that's a great, great idea. 
you know, to, you know, take a look at it like that and open scoring, etc. I think it does have to change. Hopefully it does. You've kind of stunned us with this, uh, Ben, I have to say. Are we talking Are we talking about VAR in boxing? We're talking about help from technology and we're talking about perhaps judges that can watch things back at the mm. very highest level. One thing I've struggled with in the past 12 months is getting the best fighters from around the world to come and fight in this country. Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall was the, the biggest stumbling block to that was the judges in this country and 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 I have it all the time and I think everyone recognizes that all we everyone wants the best for the sport it's a difficult sport to judge it's uh it can be subjective at times but why not put everything in place that we possibly can so that fighters can be confident when they go into a ring they're going to get the fairest outcome yeah, that's phenomenal. Like it. Yes, this lunchtime, Simon, absolutely. isn't it? Where do you stand with it? Well, absolutely. I think it's absolutely fundamentally right to be looking at the mechanisms that can evolve the sports to take away some of the controversies, to take away some of these issues that bring the sport into disrepute. You know, I'll go further. I'll look at the British Boxing Board of Control as not being fit for purpose. I'll look at the funding of that particular organisation and look at the people that are running it and saying this has to be combined with a new remit and a more empowered, a more legislatively based British Boxing Board of Control to be able to make sure that when situations like Bradley Skeet, when situations like Josh Taylor and other ones that we can mm-hmm. list back on that have been handled, and, and, and of course, you know, the, you know, the thorn in everyone's paw currently, the Conor Bear situa- situation, can be handled in a far more professional way. Yes. So the sport, which will have its own challenges. There's lots of challenges coming down the line for boxing. We're talking about head injuries in football. We haven't even discussed it in boxing. That will land in someone's doorstep sooner sure. rather than later. Unless you've got a British Boxing Board of Control or arbitrary authorities that are leading the sport rather than running alongside it and doing bugger all really with it, then you're going to have these challenges even more. And I think it's absolutely right. If you've got forward-thinking people like like Ben uh, and Eddie as well and yeah. Frank and they're yeah. looking at the way that the game could evolve, but if you've got a new th- thought process coming in, like like Ben Shalom, then you're going to start making, you know, start breaking eggs and you're going to start making some new omelettes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That news is, is, is out there now, Ben. At not least the news that the rematch is, is locked in <coughs> and that both have signed for the fight, Cashel against Taylor. That's a fight, by the way. Are we looking at March? March time, are we, yes. Ben? Yeah, yeah, We're yeah. looking at March in in um, in Glasgow yeah. for that, the, the, the fight, with technology introduced on that night. That, mm. that look... That may be all all take all take time. All I can say is we have the wind behind us now because of the media attention, because of the outroar. We now feel we're in a position where we can we can really, really push this through. And, you know, the dream would be that because of the significance of what happened in that on that night in Scotland, that the rematch would have something in place. Um, But all I would say is I spoke to Robert Smith last week. He is always open to developing the sport as much as other people say that he's not and that he's this and he's that. He is, and we feel like we've got his ear now and we feel like he wants the best for the sport. And yes, we're going to make mistakes. And yes, as we've seen in football, but we have to... The problem with boxing is it never seems to want to risk things. It never seems to want to break barriers. It never seems to want to develop and that's what we're going to be pushing for. And uh, I, I am confident that we're going to see it absolutely pivotal 12 Well months. done, Ben. Well done with that. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken. Don't forget to leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back for our final show of 2022 tomorrow. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 